0: Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Wisconsin. Also at ESPN Pepin, I believe it is. P P um, I N. I think that would be how I'd pronounce it. Um, I looked it up. It's on uh, the Mississippi River, uh, a little bit north of uh, Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, and a little bit south of, I forgot where else, but it's over there on the west side of the state. Shout out to ESPN Pepin. Happy to represent you as your Milwaukee Bucks reporter. One of my favorite ESPN (laughs) affiliates in the state, uh, (laughs) joining me as always, my good friend, Frank Madden, the founder of Brewhoo. Frank, how are you doing this wonderful evening? (laughs)
1: Um, well, uh, I, I have to say there was a, there was one, um, there was one, one ESPN affiliate uh, suggestion that really kind of hit close to home, and that was from uh, at uh, Crum Wilson, uh, our who, who has the screen name Locked On Bucks Groupie. So we got to give them a shout out. Uh, he tweeted at me, ESPN Fredonia Arby's, um, <laughs> which is really kind of a mashup of, of many things. And uh, seeing as, as how my uh, my spouse uh, is a uh, Houston basketball fan. Um, that there was maybe reason to uh, to hit up an Arby's and do some some crying in a in a bathroom after watching the Warriors. Uh, I, I was gonna say take it to them, but you know, um, look, I, the Warriors were the Warriors. I, I mean, I think tonight was sort of the what you were afraid of if you're a, a Rockets fan. That you know, again, that even with Harden and to a lesser extent Paul getting uh, getting off uh, in some of those ISOs. Um, there just weren't enough points to be scored against uh, a really, really good Warrior defense, and, and obviously we know what they can do offensively, and um, it was kind of reminding me a little bit of, of yesterday, you know, I, I came into the discussion yesterday around the Cavs getting blown out, and I said, well, you know, when Cal Corver and J.R. Smith come in and miss a bunch of shots, and they don't make threes, then the they're, they're Cavs, this version of the Cavs probably isn't going to win, even if LeBron plays really well, um, and today, with, with, you know, watching Harden go for 41, Paul goes for 23 on 17 shots. Um, yeah. You know, that's, yeah, no, sure. That That's, there's some good stuff in there. Um, but then you got to go down the rest of the, the box court. PJ Tucker, Luke Bamute, Ryan Anderson, Nene combined 0 for 10. Um, and Luke got hurt me to watch Luke, our, our mm. old friend, Luke Bamute go 0 for six. And I think like three or four of those were just point blank, misses at the rim. So, um, so, yeah, they have they have gotten so far, um, especially, you know, defensively, by being able to play Luke and Tucker together and having those guys hit enough open threes that it all kind of hangs together. And I think tonight we saw an example. I mean, the, the Rockets offense is not historically great when, you know, the guys not named Paul and Harden just miss a bunch of shots. So, um, so anyway, that is my uh, – too bad, so sad for the Warriors uh, portion of the podcast. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that um, because there is actually, there continues to be some Milwaukee Bucks news, but I figured we'd start with a little bit of game action because you know, the games are what basketball is all that. Uh,
0: my suggestion for the Cavaliers would carry over to the Rockets. Make a three. You probably should make one. Um, if you do that things are going to go a lot better and I mean you kind of covered it, but it's just an absolute killer when harden or paul do make those passes and the others don't hit those threes like yeah i just don't know how you survive going two on two on how many ever you want to say the warriors have but they have more than those two um that the rockets have so uh you just have to have contributions from the others and uh you purposely have put them kind of in those uh somewhat limited roles where they're it's pretty much just execute right like hit your corner threes, execute defensively, and James Harden and Chris Paul will take care of the rest. And largely that was what happened tonight, and they didn't do their part. And, uh, I mean, I I just think it's going to be a killer. So we'll see if the others can kind of come around in game two. And you almost have to – I mean, that's obviously a must-win game for them because if the others can't do it at home, I don't know if they can do it at Oracle. Um, yeah so uh, to me you you have to get game two and find a way uh, for your others to come through because if the, if the I mean one I think the series might be over anyways but if the Warriors steal the first two games on the road it's definitely over and it might be over in four so um we'll see um I'm hopeful uh fingers crossed for more of the first half than the second half because uh, things in the first half looked okay and appeared to be pretty fine uh in Granted, there was some ridiculous shot making from Harden and but that's kind of how the Rockets roll. So hopefully we'll see uh, some better basketball in those in game two, actually in both game twos. Hopefully we just see better basketball uh, in both of those conference finals.
1: Yeah. And I think the you know, something you brought up was how the Warriors, if they have an Achilles heel, it's it's sort of the slappiness. Like they kind of get to feeling themselves a little bit and they, you know, they turned the ball over, and, and they were 28th in the league in turnover percentage offensively. And tonight, I mean, you look at the stats. I mean, they only had nine turnovers, right? And and yep. Houston, as much as they seem to have some sloppiness, um, they only turned it over 13 times. So uh, it's not like they were horrible in that regard. But you know, you just look at the the result of that. You know, the the Warriors 18 to three advantage uh, in on fast breaks. Uh, 17 to 9, 17 to nine advantage off turnovers um you know again it, it's it's kind of an interesting thing like i, I was thinking about it a little bit kind of like uh like in soccer where you see you know one team just possesses the ball possesses the ball obviously it's different in basketball because you have a shot clock but um but it's sort of like you know uh, you know houston trying to play ball control controlling the ball you know obviously going through their two best players predominantly um i thought you know certainly they took too long to get into their actions they had what four shot clock violations which yeah. is i think was the season i for them tonight just just took too long and, and again there just weren't enough easy kind of beatable switches to find that like they really had to work to find you know maybe the one guy on the court who could maybe be taken taken advantage of and um you know even steph curry had a couple steals tonight kevon looney uh had some decent defensive plays actually i mean he got scored on a few times by harden but you know nobody was just like totally torchable um, and so you had to really work to find those mismatches and um, you know if, if the Rockets were trying to play that you know possession basketball uh, the Warriors were able to counterattack. And, and again when the Rockets made mistakes they were really able to punish them get out in numbers um, you know I, I forget who said it but I recall someone saying you know if, if Harden is not converting either with those alley-oops to a Capella or layups of his own when he gets in the middle of the paint um, look out because with the way that they spread the floor with guys being in the corners and capella being in that dunker yep. spot, harden going to the rim, I don't maybe Europe th- I think yeah um then then it's tough because then you have got very little cover back, and um we saw that numerous times tonight I mean I think probably the turning point in the game was harden short arming a pretty like short little floater, and I think that was when it was i want to say. I want to say it might have been like 73 to 72 or something like that. And, uh, golden state comes back and Thompson has all day to hit a transition three that made it 76, 70. And then they got another quick basket, I think off of, um, uh, Curry basically trapping Harden and forcing a turnover and then getting a dunk for, I forget who it was. Um, and that kind of like was, and I don't think it ever really got close. I think it may have gotten like to within four in the fourth quarter at one point, but just never kind of got closer than that. and, um, again I mean I don't think the Rockets are necessarily going to drastically change I think maybe you know maybe you might see them do some things to try to get a little bit more movement dynamism on their offensive side of the ball just because they need to get some of these other guys to be you know engaged um, but by the same token I mean this is this is how they've played and you know Eric Gordon actually wasn't bad tonight um, he's kind of he's had a pretty up and down season um, he did hit some shots finally tonight but overall uh, yeah I mean man <laughs> I was talking to my wife earlier before the game and I, we we're saying just like it's so tough it's like you work all season at home court advantage and then it's like oh crap we really need to we really need to win this game <laughs> we really need to win game one yep. and then even if you win game one it's like well crap we can't get ha- fat and happy we got to win game two mm-hmm. we got to protect mm-hmm. home court and so it's just so difficult because <laughs> now you just,
0: you're just you're doing it against the greatest team ever somewhat. exactly so, exactly. Good luck. You're
1: just, exactly you're just chasing uh you know, I mean, you, 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 it's almost like a curse because now you have this extra pressure. <laughs> it's yep. like, it's like, well, at least if we were an Oracle, um, we, you know, we would be feeling less pressure to to come out and necessarily win game one. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting series. It's it's kind of funny to me because I feel like everybody I follow is has been predicting that the Warriors would win pretty easily. Um, but like everyone's still really excited for the series, which I think is kind of interesting. Like, it seems like a lot of people or like a large majority of the the basketball Twitter I follow doesn't think this is going to be a com- very competitive series or at least not a long series, um, but everyone's still excited just to see how it goes. I think just sort of that, you know, styles make fights type type aspect to this and knowing just how good these teams were in the regular season and how many great players you have here. So um, anyway, hopefully the, com- the competitiveness, both for, for the sake of basketball as well as uh, my household, um, hopefully the Rockets can make this a bit more competitive moving forward.
0: I'm trying to think of which Shawshank quote is more appropriate here, but it's certainly this is about hope, right? Like hope is yeah. is a good thing, <laughs> the best of things, or hope is a dangerous thing. Um and I feel like that's exactly what's going on with the series. Like I think everyone just wants a great series. Like desperately someone challenge the warriors and knowing in your mind, well, it's probably not going to happen, but damn, I want to see it. I just want to see someone go toe to toe with them, and uh, I think everyone was, you know, I think there were some warning signs in the first half that this could go poorly for the Rockets in the second half. But it was close at halftime, and it it could have happened, and then it didn't. And um, what one other thing I was just going to mention, I, I think this one is the series is fascinating to me because the Rockets know that you need to limit the warriors in transition so like you said they're they're kind of picking their pace it's slow it's methodical uh the goal is to be hyper efficient don't turn it over offensively so the warriors don't get those chances but the warriors great achilles heel is a game that gets out of their own hands where it does start to feel a little bit loose feels like a little bit like a pickup game steph throws one behind his back out of bounds they're taking some bad shots Draymond's into it and uh, a little bit too far and all of those things to me can only happen when the pace is getting pushed like you have to get them into uh, a an area of comfort where they feel like okay well the pace is really going now so let's go and play our free uh our freestyle and just get out there and then that's when the sloppiness comes but I wonder if the pace is so slow can that sloppiness come out and I don't know if you want to move the pace up to find out because that also might mean you get blown out but if you do then you have a chance to win and but if you don't then you have a chance to win so there's just a puzzle that you're trying to put together in your head over and over again and attempt to figure out like how do you beat this impossible team like uh, I I don't know so we'll see I'm hopeful and even yeah,
1: it, I mean, I mean, I think it's it, it sort of, I feel like it's going, going, kind of going back to last summer where it was just sort of the idea of you're basically, I mean, you don't root for injuries, but if you're the other team, you're really just hoping that somebody tweaks an ankle and this is three games, you know, that Steph, Steph gets to- game. Yeah, or Draymond um,
0: gets tossed from a game or something. And, yeah, which it yeah. seemed
1: like tonight he was on the right track to do so <laughs> with some of his early early game antics. But um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of tough. I feel like, you know, the... The Warriors kind of slumbering, sleepwalking through the regular season sort of, I think, obscure. I, I don't know if people really thought that anybody. i don't. I mean, I don't think people really thought that there was anybody other than the Warriors who were going to be, the, you know, like the favorites or anything like that. But we kind of got lulled into sort of not bemoaning the Warriors' dominance just because, I mean, they didn't have the best record in the regular season. Um, but now watching in the playoffs and with Steph now back from injury and then back to being in good health, it does feel like all of a sudden everybody's sort of like reawakening to the fact that like oh crap like the warriors might be the most talented team you know in certainly modern nba history and what are you going to do about that that is that is a problem for the rest of the league and um yeah they're just a machine right now so it'll be interesting to see i mean again like i was talking to some people earlier today i mean you know the best teams they're unbeatable until they're not right and and you know i always think back to the to the the lakers when they lost to the pistons and i guess oh four um you know it's just sort of one of those things like you you just you you kind of you obviously you, you know it's not like i'm predicting the warriors to lose because uh well some point they have to lose i mean again like until they lose i'm gonna expect them to win but you know this is how it works like you know, I mean, the the finals when they come back, they lose by the they lose the three one advantage. Obviously, they didn't have Durant at that point, but um, you know, they looked unbeatable that year too, up until that point. And you just never know what might happen, whether it's injuries, whether it's complacency, whatever it might be. Um, you, you just gotta kind of watch it, and and sometimes teams, you know, again, it's it's a couple weeks worth of basketball, right? Some. Crazy things can happen. Um, I don't expect them to happen, but, um, you know, that's why we watch the games.
0: Absolutely. All right. Uh, We did very little in the way of prep today to figure out exactly what we were going to talk about. Just because, I don't know, this is just a weird spot because I feel like every day there's news when we're talking about this Bucks coaching search but in a kind of in a similar vein there's not really news if that makes any sense like we've been talking about mike budenholzer for i was going through kind of all the times that we'd had mike budenholzer discussions and we've been talking about him for two weeks and uh, i don't uh, i think we've kind of broken down all the all there is to break down on
1: him right we're tapped out we're tapped out on bud i think until we know more
0: and and i mean there's not a bigger story than like he's going to continue to be the story so i guess that's where this kind of gets more difficult like how else are 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 other interesting things around all of this because i mean it still is like this is a huge coaching hire and we can't really mention that enough that this is a very significant uh move for this franchise they have to figure this out and they have to hit this because it i mean it's everything right like this is the 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 years leading up to the chance for Giannis to sign a super max so this is the entire kind of franchise's future in one move and we're kind of in a spot where i'm not 100 percent sure exactly what to talk about today but one thing you were mentioning was we are under the belief that we are through the the first round of interviews for the bucks uh adrian Wojnarowski reporting today that uh budenholzer has become the the target for both the bucks and the raptors and that the bucks will be bringing in budenholzer uh, on tuesday the day that this podcast is coming out and i think one thing that some people were curious about was it's the bucks and the raptors the raptors coach is no longer there the raptors coach dwayne casey had a lot of success uh also dwayne casey won 59 games with the raptors this season the best season in franchise history that seems somewhat attractive in in a, in a potential coaching hire uh for someone to be coming off a 59 win season and i don't know that we've talked all that much about dwayne casey and i mean at this point it doesn't sound like he's going to get uh he's going to get an interview as it appears the bucks are moving on to a second round of interviews starting with Boone on tuesday but Maybe he could still get it in the mix. Uh, why, do you, what are your general thoughts on Dwayne Casey as the Bucks coach?
1: Yeah, he's interesting because I think if you look back at the history of Dwayne Casey, you know he he had sort of a really abbreviated, probably not long enough, kind of short tenure in in Minnesota, and then kind of reestablishes himself as you know kind of defensive coordinator under Rick Carlisle. Um, widely credited as the architect of the defense that shut down LeBron James in 2011 when the Mavs win that title and um, used that kind of as a springboard to becoming Raptors coach. And, I mean, look, you he, he can't argue that much with sort of the the renaissance he oversaw in Toronto and, um, you know, getting the most out of guys like DeRozan and Lowry who, um, you know, were uh, essentially, I mean, DeRozan might have been, you know, en route to becoming a good player but i mean kyle lowry was not kyle lowry when he landed there when he was traded there from houston uh and certainly DeRozan's heights i mean you know a lot of credit goes to casey and his staff for molding those guys and that team into what they became which was a really successful team and you know 51 seasons and yes they did win some playoff series not against lebron but they obviously have you know accomplished a fair fair amount certainly the, the most of any raptors team so um Certainly, I mean, I, I don't think you can dismiss that he's been a successful head coach, right? I mean, the wins kind of nope. speak for themselves. Um, again, probably the question's obviously, you know, tactically and is is he the, you know, brilliant theoretician slash uh, X's and O's guy? Probably not so much. Maybe a little bit more off, uh, defensively than offensively. Um, you know, Nick Nurse got a lot of credit for uh, some of the changes they made as far as becoming less of a sort of ISO-heavy team this year, more of a Passing the ball, sharing the ball, shooting threes type team this year, um, but certainly, I mean, you know, Nick Nurse worked for Dwayne Casey, so it's not like um, you know, we, I, 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 you can't, I don't think you can divorce it entirely from Dwayne Casey. So, um, so again, like through the lens of the Bucks, really need to get a good coach, and I think, I think there's an argument for you know, again, and I hate to say play it safe because. I just generally don't like playing it safe whether it's a draft or anything Agreed. <laughs> because because i think playing it safe is you know when you have such a slim chance at ever like legitimately competing for a championship anyway um i don't know if you can really afford to play it safe per se um i think even though you really want to not screw it not screw up this coaching hire on some level um you probably do need a a bit more luck than maybe you want to admit um, with this next hire. So um, so I don't know. I mean, I can see the perspective that maybe Dwayne Casey is kind of like a little bit down the middle safe option. But look, you know, is Giannis going to depart in three years because he hated Dwayne Casey and they completely fell apart under Dwayne Casey? I don't think that narrative probably exists. Um, I think he's going to be a guy that, you know, probably gets you to a higher floor than, than maybe some other guys. But again, is he better than Holzer? I don't know. I mean, maybe not. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, it's, so much of this stuff is, is you know, a consequence of, of situation, right? Could Budenholzer have won 50-some games in Toronto this year? Probably. I don't know. Would he have won 59 games? I don't know, right? I mean, was there something unique about the thing that, that Casey had with those guys? Quite possibly. So, you know, again, like, I wouldn't be mad if Dwayne Casey got, uh, got an interview. Again, like, he's been a successful head coach. Do I think that... He is just a surefire success no matter where he goes. Mm, I'm not necessarily sold on that. Um, but, again, I, I don't know if that makes him very different from any other, you know, above average coach in the NBA.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest thing to always remember is you don't know anything. <laughs> like, we don't. I don't. You don't. The Bucks don't. Anyone listening to this, you don't you don't know anything there's so much circumstantial stuff that goes into the success of an nba team and that could be players that could be injuries that could be uh the general manager that was able to pull off some trades like there's so much that goes into i mean just thinking about the raptors last year 59 wins there's a ton that goes into it you're you also have to factor in the chemistry that those guys had the continuity that those guys had had over the years uh, the assistant coach nick nurse and the stuff that he did offensively like there there's no way to kind of parse out all of those different things like you just have stuff in front of you and you're hoping that you can find some sort of meaningful pattern in it and you're hoping that you can figure out exactly what it all means but in the end you don't really know and i guess with casey what's What's interesting to me is I think there's no doubt that he can create a a positive culture around a team. And the reason that I say that after saying I don't know anything is you just look at what this Raptors franchise had been through. And when you think of the Milwaukee Bucks, I think for the last couple of decades, you largely think of futility. And when you think about the Toronto Raptors as a franchise (laughs) franchise, their entire franchise history is largely futility. Like they, they didn't have playoff wins. Uh, they, they just didn't really have a whole lot going on for them. Uh, and kind of the same thing, uh, 2000, 2001, they went to the Eastern conference semis. Uh, so they got, uh, just a little bit into the playoffs and, before that I mean that was it Uh, everything else was just losing in the first round so it it was kind of the same thing and Dwayne Casey comes in uh, in 2011 I believe it was and then kind of turns the team around and rattles off three straight 50 win seasons and I think you have to be impressed with kind of the the culture and the the environment that he was able to foster and the environment that he was able to develop for that team uh but at the same time i think you have significant questions and uh we already mentioned the low and thor podcast from earlier this week and uh david thorpe is someone that knows masai ujiri very well um and so and zach obviously spent a lot of time around this raptors team this year and uh, I, I think listening to both of them you could kind of hear The questions about was Dwayne Casey good enough in game and uh, I think what's interesting about this Bucks team is I largely feel as though they don't need a culture developer they need someone that can tactically win them games and the reason why I think that's interesting and maybe wrong is the Bucks haven't really created a culture. Uh, I wrote last week at ESPNWisconsin.com about them not having an identity. And uh, that's something that I think this franchise has been trying to create since the new ownership took over. That's always been a big word for them is creating culture and creating, uh, I guess, just an environment of success. And the Bucks largely haven't had that. So though i think i'm shooing that away because i think the bucks are in a spot where they need to win games they need to have results and i think having a tactician helps them do that best maybe i'm skipping a step i i I don't really know and it's i think that's also another thing that makes it tougher like what does this team really need and i think that's difficult to try to surmise from uh, the evidence that we've been given the last few years
1: Yeah, it's a little interesting. I mean, like, it it seems like the common narrative in the league is the relationship guys seem to be able, like, it seems like you can go reasonably far as a culture relationship guy who maybe isn't the strongest X's and O's guy. Yeah. And maybe part of that is because you can kind of on some level delegate sort of the X's and O's to, you know, you find that defensive or offensive assistant who you know is the whiz kid guy? Um, whether it was you know Thibs doing that for Doc Rivers back in the day, um, you know even in Houston where we think of it as an offensive team, Jeff bizdelic has been sort of the defensive guru behind their improvement. Um, that's that's pretty common. You, know, you see one or the other. Obviously the Bucks had Joe Prunty as the offensive assistant kind of focus, um, and. The, uh, you know Sweeney as the the defensive focused assistant. I won't say specialist because there wasn't you know the, result, <laughs> the results to to say that there was real real specialization, but there was at least attempted to do that. Um, so uh, it, it's interesting because it does seem like you know that can take you reasonably far, um, but then I don't I don't know about the reverse, right? Like and and again, I, it may just be a perception thing, right? Like, are there great x's and o's coaches who are like not really good man you know game managers or sorry not really good locker room managers or people people um and and how do you know like i, I mean like a is was a scott like is that a scott Skiles type you know like kind of a mm, rough around the edge yeah. or like like a thibodeau type i mean I, again cuz it's like i mean thibodeau can't get his team to play defense anymore period so i don't even know what Thibodeau's sort of identity as a yeah. coach at this point um but I, I don't know like I, and, and again I mean the hope is you, you don't have to just trade off like an antisocial you know x's and o's genius for a um relationship person who who doesn't understand how to you know draw up plays right I mean I think yeah. it's maybe a caricature but um but yeah I think that's probably one of the the inherent tensions that at least we perceive to see in nba coaches and again maybe I don't know how whether maybe there's less to that than we think there is but certainly uh, again you know with the bucks and their coaching search you know it seems like it seems like it breaks down pretty clearly in that a lot of the guys that we maybe are less interested in fall into that like camp of kind of maybe one or the other right like you know, some of the like the assistants sometimes are known as, like, Nick Nurse or Chris Fincher are known as, oh, they're, like, the offensive guy, like the wizard offensive wizard guys. They coach the Rockets G League team, et cetera, et cetera. And we don't know what they're like as culture people, though, um, versus some of the former assistant coaches, like, Casey or Monty Williams um, are viewed as like, oh, they're like real relationship guys. Even Budenholzer to some extent, right? So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And and again, obviously, you hope that you don't have to make a trade-off. And I think that's why maybe Budenholzer has been perceived in as positive a light as he is and why you know again, it seems like there's this indication that both the Raptors and Bucks are are trying to woo him, Um, is that he is like a culture guy and a player development guy but he's also pretty savvy X's nose. And, and again, I don't, there's still access to that, that I kind of question Cause again, his offenses have not been good for quite some time. And defensively they did things that kind of make me nervous, but, um, but I don't know. We'll see. I mean, again, like until, until we see whoever's going to be the coach actually here and figure out what they're doing with this team. Again, we're, we're going to have a major blind spot for it. So, so I don't know. It's tough. I, I guess did we do we want to mention the one new candidate um, who is not Jim Clemens who was mentioned today in a report um, uh, Celtics assistant and it's got the tilde on one of the ends so I'm not sure how exactly it's pronounced Laranega Laranaga, it's just Laranega okay that's the boring pronunciation
0: you, I mean um, you can throw a little flair onto it if you, if you like Laranega
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah
0: that is that, a very poppy uh, pronunciation, and I say that because uh, Jay Laranega's father is the coach at Jim. Miami. Um, yeah, Jim Laranega. And Poppy Levitard has been hitting the Lairnega, uh very hard. Uh, so y- feel free to do so.
1: The report from Adam Himmelsbach um, out of Boston was that uh, Laranega, Jay Laranega, assistant, lead assistant for Brad Stevens, Uh, who I believe also interviewed, I think he was a finalist for the Hornets job, wasn't he? I think um, that he interviewed with the Bucks on Friday. So unclear if that means he was in town and just nobody noticed or if he called it a phone interview or what that exactly meant. But um, first time we've heard his name mentioned, and I don't know, maybe it'll be the last. I don't know. I mean, um, again, certainly if you want to get some of that Brad Stevens – you know the magic beans of of Brad Stevens, and I guess going to his lead assistant would be an obvious place to start. Again, that's pretty much the the the, the extent that that I know. Um, he's a former player. I think he's 43 years old. Former um year, player who kind of crisscrossed Europe, uh, playing after uh, graduating from college. So um, has kind of that you know European playing experience, and then um, transitioned to to being a coach. And uh, I don't know. Well, I guess we'll see if we if the, if this is the last time we mentioned Jay Laranega or or maybe not. But certainly it seems like from Woj's reports that the Raptors are are interested in Mike Budenholzer as well. And the Bucks are interested in Mike Budenholzer. So um, I don't know what what did we say? What did we what were our predictions? I said 524, I think, for when a coach gets hired. You said, I think, a week later, right? Like, are you feeling like something could be more imminent with all this bud talk or what? Where's your head at?
0: Well, I think what's interesting there is with with what the Bucks are doing, I mean, they have to find a way to find Budenholzer, right? Like, I think when you look at the candidates that are on this list and we think about the people that were interviewed, Budenholzer's, again, maybe this from the outside and we don't know, but seems far and away the the best candidate right like i know i've stood up for steve clifford and i think maybe he should be uh, getting a little bit more respect but other than that like i'm very uh, i'm leery of the spurs tree and i don't necessarily know that i trusted jay laranaga was a late ad here and i just think through that list of candidates and it feels like Boonholzer is Again, kind of uh, head and shoulders above everyone else, and if if that's actually how this is going, and obviously Adrian Wojnarowski reported that uh, the Bucks are kind of making the play for him, and uh, obviously th- he's coming in for an interview again or a second interview this week. Like, isn't there part of the Buck? Like, again, this is just me kind of projecting, but if I'm Bucks ownership, isn't there part of me that's thinking? I got to get this done. Like, I can't let this guy leave. Like if we take him out to dinner, uh, if we have this interview, like I cannot let him leave Milwaukee without signing this contract. Because uh, again, if you're thinking about what the Raptors are looking for, isn't Mike Boonholzer the kind of only candidate left for something that they would be looking for outside of just promoting Nick nurse, like uh, outside of promoting someone from the inside for them, Uh, i would assume that's Boonholzer would be at the top of the list because if not they have uh, a guy like jerry stackhouse who's been mentioned with some jobs they have a guy like nick nurse but both of those are unproven people and uh i would assume that they're looking for some some level of experience and uh, i just think that if you're the bucks i i think part of you has to wonder can we actually let this guy leave Milwaukee in Mike Budenholzer? Can we let Budenholzer leave Milwaukee? Or if we do that, will he sign with someone else?
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if the Raptors situation does sort of serve as a forcing mechanism and, and what that means in terms of offer. Right. And again, with Budenholzer, it is such an interesting dynamic with the 14 million he's owed the next couple of years and the offset to that. Um, Again, it'll be very interesting to see. I mean, I, I, I would be very surprised if, especially given that, um, that if Budenholzer is hired that he gets less than five years. I think he's going to get, you know, I, I would imagine something on the order of five years. And yep. the really, There are very few coaches who get paid in that six to seven million range without having uh, president of basketball operations tied to their title as well. So um, for Budenholzer to kind of keep his previous salary, the $7 million number. To be coming here just as a coach would be a really big number, um, but again, I, I don't know. Maybe that's the kind of number that uh, that that he can extract from the Bucks, right? Um, especially if if he is the guy that that becomes sort of the consensus favorite, and um, you know, again, especially given thinking back to what happened last year with the Bucs, I mean, if the Bucks lose their consensus favorite, and granted, it's maybe a bit of a leap to just assume that right now, but that certainly seems to be what Woj and others are implying, um, man. If they miss out on Brunel, it would be very interesting, right? Because then who, well, who's who's next on the list? And but, but um,
0: better open up that, uh, better open up the interviews again. Because uh, I feel like that's what they did last year, right? You lose the favorite, gotta open up interviews, start it all over again, no?
1: Ugh, God. And this is why, again, like we all talked about, don't artificially constrain the list of people you interview right i mean again we don't want these things to take forever but i think if you want to take a little extra time to cast a wider net hear more opinions um get more ideas and and meet more people then i think that's that's a a good reason to do it um but but yeah we'll see um and kind of a funny thing i mean we talk a lot about the spurs coaching tree and budenholzer being from the spurs coaching tree um Budenholzer actually has his own coaching tree at this point I mean he's been around long enough Kenny Atkinson now in Brooklyn and Quinn Snyder of course the you know probably we'd we'd happily take as the Bucks head coach uh, from Utah (laughs) he was available um Quinn Snyder and Kenny Atkinson both coached under uh, Mike Budenholzer so you know kind of interesting that that Budenholzer obviously is part of the the Popovich coaching tree which um you know is uh is, is interesting the um it's a little funny. I was trying to think about this. When you think of bad examples from the Spurs coaching tree, um, I'm I'm trying to think. Are, are there is there anybody other than Jacques Vaughn? And I mean, I don't want to be mean, but you know, Joe Prenti is a Spurs guy. And has, I'm not sure he'll get another full time coaching job. Um, but are there any other guys who've come from the Spurs that have not worked out? I mean, some of the other names Mike that Brown. we've seen. Oh, Mike Mike Brown was also Spurs at some point. Yeah, that's right yeah and then of late Brett Brown obviously mm, seems to be working pretty well um, and and then it also kind of depends um, with uh, you know how you view like Steve Kerr like Steve Kerr isn't traditionally part of the Spurs coaching tree because he wasn't actually a coach there but again obviously Pop was very influential having played under him so you hey, kind of can Avery it
0: Johnson backwards.
1: did Avery coach under Pop though I'm not 100% sure. I, I I don't I don't think he coached there. Obviously he was a player, was very close to pop. I I don't I I don't think he was a coach for the Spurs though, but again, part of the extended tree for sure. Um but yeah, it it, it is interesting. I mean, I guess maybe avoid really short former point guards with Avery and Jack Vaughn. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I I don't know. So hmm yeah I'm trying to think of any other ones, but yeah, i mean I think when you are around as long as i mean any coach, if you have a coach that's that's well respected and around for a long time, there's probably gonna be people that come out of it that are great and others that are that are not quite as good but i I, I don't know it's i I guess the thing i I would be concerned about if I was again if speaking from the perspective of ownership and John horse. Like if I, if I don't get Mike Boonholzer, who is it? Who's next? And I don't know that there's any level of confidence instilled in the list of those coaches remaining, because I, I don't, again, I don't know who would number two on that list would be. I think both of us kind of came to Messina as the second guy that we listed as, uh, The group of like three that might get second interviews but maybe it's not Messina maybe it's Becky Hammond or maybe it's Jay Laranega I I don't really know but if it is any of those people aren't you sort of regretting not like you mentioned casting a wider net and casting a net for assistants that either weren't with the Spurs or just Brad Stevens uh, lead assistant like I, I don't know yeah it's it's a really interesting spot because you do, I think, to some extent. Um, we had multiple people tweet at us like, "What's taking so long with the Bucks? Like, why is this taking so long?" And I tweeted out like, "The C- I- I'm trying to think when with the Knicks, like, I think it took them just short of a month to hire David Fisdale and the Bucks like aren't even close to that yet. Like they're they're not even close to like there's a a solid 2 weeks until uh that would be the case for the bucks and like I, I just it, it's interesting that there's uh there's some belief among both you and I that they haven't gone deep enough they haven't interviewed enough people and then there's also a belief among many fans that they've wasted too much time and they should have just hired Budenholzer right away. Cause that was clearly the best candidate. And it's just interesting that there could be such a wide divide on uh, the belief of what's best for this organization and what coach um, or coaching candidates or the coaching process or how, however you want to think about this head coach search. Like there's such a a large variance in opinion.
1: Yeah. I think the the thing I think you can criticize the Bucks for is, what, it took them a week to start interviewing after the season ended. Yeah. I think that's a clear kind of like, well, what's, what was the hold up there? Right. I mean, you know, they should have been, you know, that we know that we know that they were thinking about guys yeah. to, all while, all, you know, as soon as Jason kid got fired as much as they wanted to act like there wasn't a list clearly, like there was some thought about this. Right. But, yeah. um, to take a week to figure out how you're even going to run the search after the season ended. I mean, that again, kind of like, seems like a familiar refrain of the Bucks sort of being caught, not prepared for things that they should have seen coming. Like the Hammond departure last summer. Yeah. so I think that was probably the most disappointing thing. I think the other thing too, is like for a team like the Knicks, I mean, if you're, if you're David Fisdale or Budenholzer or whoever else interviewed there, especially if you're one of the veteran guys, like it's only natural that you might wait a little bit to see if any of these playoff teams that were not yet eliminated, um, you know, might be interested in you, right? And I don't know. We don't know exactly why. We don't know if the Bucks, if there were some conversations with Fisdale's camp to maybe let them know that they weren't super interested or, you know, because mm-hmm. he was on the list that, that Woj provided and then basically the next day um, he ended up taking the Knicks job. So, I don't know, it's a little tough to, to tell, but I, I would say this. If you're a, a terrible lottery team and your season ends in mid-April, like, it's not shocking to me that, you know the best candidates wouldn't necessarily like be leaping at a chance to be your head coach, um, especially if there were some some better jobs that were likely coming down the pipe a couple weeks later. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, again, I don't know if it's going to take really that long in the grand scheme of the universe for the Bucks to find their head coach, because certainly if they do it this week, then I would say it went pretty quickly. You know, yeah. And ultimately, though, we're not going to remember when the coach was hired. We're just going to rem- remember. Who was hired, and we're gonna remember whether that person was successful or not. And that is correct. Um, is it? So it sounds like you are you are far more pro Budenholzer now than you were maybe a week ago. And I don't know. Part of it, you was just sort of playing devil's advocate a little bit as well, um, kind of questioning, you know, some of the maybe runaway Bud fandom that kind of gripped Bucks Nation. Um, I mean, have you? have you come around on him as the best candidate significantly since a week or two ago or no. have you just been, have you just been worn down by everybody else talking about it and this seeming like the inevitable thing. So, Hey, we might as well just run with it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't think I've been worn down by people talking about it. I just see a list and understand that. I mean,
1: I'm is that to- a Jason Kiddism? Do you drop me a, a Jason Kidd understand? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, understanding that when you hire a, no, i I, I guess the, the way I look at it is the, as Eric Benning and I went through our list, the, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. I think the top five people we listed not on the list, not there. Didn't get interviews. So at this point, Those people aren't getting interviews and uh, I'm forced to choose from another list that I don't, from a list that I don't particularly enjoy. And then I'm now to a spot where Clifford, who I think I like more than Bud. Actually, I do like Clifford more than Bud as a, a potential coaching candidate, but I'm at a spot where he's not getting the job or maybe he is maybe he's one of the three finalists that we'll hear but it it appears very much to me that um if Adrian Wojnarowski is reporting this uh, that the Bucks are targeting him I assume that they are targeting him and that they would be in that spot now if they don't get him sure I will I will run with all the fantasies of the Bucks reopening the search and Nick Nurse and Chris Finch getting interviews and uh, a list of coaches I would much rather prefer get back on the list and get a chance. I will run with that fantasy, um, but at this point, it seems pretty far-fetched.
1: Well, I, I would say I hope something happens soon because I'd much rather talk about what actually happens than what might happen. And I feel like we're Agreed. now getting to that point where we've covered all the various scenarios and, and now it's just a matter of the Bucks actually you know making a call and again it would feel very like in keeping with the bucks sort of franchise history if budenholzer goes to toronto and then they have to panic reset and then they end up taking like clifford and everybody's like not that excited about it but it might actually not be a bad thing and then he (laughs) end up being like just fine and you know whatever um but uh yeah i guess we'll see
0: all right that's gonna be it for us for today uh, who knows what we'll have for you tomorrow as uh, the Bucks coaching search will will surely continue and uh, I guess maybe I don't know if we are kind of uh, if we've kind of exhausted all of the potential talking points on this maybe that means we we move to a different topic I don't know we will see um, I guess that's a spoiler or I guess that, excuse me that's a teaser for tomorrow's episode real cliffhanger here. What do we end up talking about? I don't know. Tune in tomorrow to Lockdown Bucks. For Frank Men, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you tomorrow.